0: It's an honor to be here. I, you know, I have a full-time job. I've, I'm a corporate chaplain. I love what I do. Uh, just got a promotion, and uh, that uh, really kind of b- really broadens the scope of uh, the ministry that God's giving to me. And it will include uh, chapling now. All the chaplains that we have within our ministry—it's about 225 of us so far, 42 states, with their families. To equate that to this, it'd be like single-staff pastoring a church that ran a 1,000, you know, so you can understand that. Uh, But it's a great honor, and um, so I'm looking forward to it. You know, I don't get to preach very often, and I'm humble that, that Justin wants me to. I said this at Mount Juliet a couple of months ago, and I want to say it here. I am so grateful that God has led Justin to be a part of our team. Are you really? I've known him. I've known him for quite some time. We met him not too far after we moved uh, here to, uh, to Nashville. And I just love that this week. We, we studied together and, and he is so fresh. And uh, as one guy said, he's smart. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but he is smart. <laughs> no, but, uh, Here's what I'm excited about. This, this comes from a, a retired, what do, what do they call us elders that aren't elders anymore? Retired or former or farmer? Anyway, um, I just, you know, when you, when you pray, my last pastor, let's put it this way. My last pastor, my heart and passion was that we had to do something to reach the next generation or the church is going to die. Do you understand that? You know if we're not constantly reaching uh, younger generations with the gospel of Jesus, uh we're going to be in trouble because we are an older church uh, so I think that's i I'm excited because that's Justin's passion. He loves you. let me tell you he loves you, but I love the fresh, passionate uh, just drive in him that says. Uh, Let's get out here in Donaldson and reach the next generation Let's get more young people. Let's get young couples in here. Let's you know, let's get them in here those that are unchurched not just Passing paper along from one church to another. Let's get people who are unchurched You know that need to be loved that have never experienced love those who Need compassion who need forgiveness because they can't find it anywhere Someone who needs an answer Because the world sure isn't giving the answer to them in what they're listening to and what they're reading uh, in their lives. They need to find a place like the fellowship to come and experience God. Now, that's not his job. That's our job. Just want you to remember that. We're not... I was told many times, well, that's what we pay you to do. And I said, keep your money. I'll just do what I do for free. You know, because you're not paying me to do reach everybody in, you know, in the world for Jesus. We are partnering together and uh, And we do a great job with that Well today we're going to finish up this series on uh, Abraham and It's been a wild journey. You know, we've we've seen him all the way from literally uh, being in his homeland and being very comfortable and God comes to him and he takes him out of that comfort and puts him in really in an uncomfortable situation where he says, you just walk and you take your family and I'll tell you where to stop. You know, we've gone from a human scandal, what he, the, the, the humanity of Abraham that we see all through this journey. But at the same time, we see the, the blessed assurance of God, that God can be gracious even in the midst of our humanity in our sinfulness. And you know, one of the things I think we need to realize, hey, this is our story this isn't just Genesis. This isn't just Abraham. This is us because you think about it. You know, God's called Abraham out and he's called him out to follow him uh, on a path that he didn't know. But guess what? God's called you and me, hadn't he? Don't you feel called of God? Aren't there times that you are asked to walk? You know, God says, go this way, do this, make this change in your life. And really there is no security of having an answer before you make that decision. Hey, happened to him. It happens to us. You know, God made promises to Abraham and God makes promises to us. Hasn't he? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I always tell people all the time, I said, you know, if God goes back on one promise, he has to change his name. And I don't think he plans to change his name. Do you? You know, so the same promises and the, and the same love he gave him, he gives to us. You know, Abraham saw these promises threatened. You know, there's sometimes uh, he would wonder, you know, God, what do you have in plan? Because I hear what you say, but I don't see it in the journey that we're going now. And we see ourselves sometimes we act, we react in in a weak and unsure way. And sometimes we can even question, God, you know, are you going to go through the promises that you've given to me? God, I don't see an answer. Anybody ever been that way? We're going to have confession here today. By the end of the day, everybody's going to raise their hand. How many people love Jesus? All right, see, I see, I got you started. Just, just keep that going. I want you to know it's the first time I've ever preached a, uh, a message left-handed because I had shoulder replacement, and this one doesn't work real good. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I am a left-handed preacher. We're going to find out today, I can tell you that, you know. But even in his humanity, you know, uh, God stepped into Abraham's life and showed him grace. And he showed him love and he showed him forgiveness. And I want to tell you that's the same today. If you're here today and you say, I have royally messed up. Anybody there? I have sinned. You know, sometimes in my life, I've really, I have really imagined that there's going to be the spiritual two by four that literally comes out of heaven and just knocks and wallops me on the side. And God says, told you so. Thou shalt never do that again. You know, whatever, but God doesn't do it. He shows his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And you'd think that, you know, at, at the end of this 25-year wait that culminated in the the giving of this promised son, the giving of Isaac, this would be a great end of Genesis, right? I mean, look, here's, here's two old people, of which I am, but man, they're even older than me. You know, I don't think Margaret wants to have a child at 90. She didn't want to have it, at whatever. Else. She can tell you what age she is now, you know? <laughs> But I'm just telling you, here are two elderly people that God says, I'm going to give you a son. And he does. A miracle, miracle, a miracle, (laughs) you know. Works a miracle in his life, and you'd think that'd be great, man. I can just see it now the Cecil B. DeMille production, and here goes Abraham holding baby Isaac in his arms, and Sarah, you know, with her cane and crutches and wheelchair, you know, and they go off in the sunset, and they lived happily ever after. Make a great ending of the story, isn't it? The problem is that's not where the story ends. We've got another chapter to go. God's still working. You know, we, read, we need to read the next chapter. That's why we're in this series of walking with God because we've got to learn another lesson. We've got to see one more thing and it doesn't end with the birth of a child. There's one more paramount, uh, paramount picture in scripture that we need to examine and experience for ourselves. And it's found in Genesis 22. I hope you will go there in your Bible, on your app, whatever. Julie, where are you? On your thumb. She said, I'm going to pick up that scripture off my thumb. We were talking about it. I'm going like, wow, that's a powerful thumb. Um, You know, wherever you got it, let's look at Genesis. And just look just at the verse, very first verse. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham would say, here I am are you kidding me at this age there's another test are you haven't they been through enough come on guys you know at this age and i and i'm i'm 66 okay i know it's young we tell people we could have scott at 40 because we got married at 10 that's how we could be young and still have old kids It's just when our grandson just turned 20 and he's a junior in college, that just messes up that theory altogether. But uh, at our age, don't we all sometimes kind of think I've been through it all? Been there, done that, own the t-shirt factory, right? And all of a sudden, you know, I'm sure it's Abraham, Isaac, and and Sarah, and they're living along, and everything's going along, and it's going wonderful. And all of a sudden, God says, Abraham, got another test for you. You know, he's already tested them in in their lives big time. I mean, we see it in the very first part. He tests him, you know, to leave a country where he was experienced, where he knew everything. He had land, he had houses, he had everything he'd ever want in life, you know? And, and even he was serving not God, but other gods. But then God comes into his life and says, here's the test, buddy. Take your wife, take your children, take your animals, take your servants, pack them all up and get on the road. Where are we going? I'll tell you when you get there. Now, is that not a big test, even when you really really don't have that relationship with God as He would have later in life? I mean, are you ready for God to come to you? You have a successful job, you've got a family, your kids are in a, you know in a great school, you know And God comes to you and says, "I need you to pack it up." Are you going to be ready? Now, that'd be a test. I've gone through that type of test. But it was years ago, but God may do it again. I don't know. You know, he says, will you trust me to lead you? And if that wasn't enough, you know, then God comes to him after that with his wife who cannot even have a child, who is elderly, and says, I am going to give you a son. And he's going to be the father You're going to be the father of nations. He's going to be the father of nations. And the descendants all the way to Jesus Christ, now they don't know this, we do. We know the end of the story, is going to come through this child. And Abraham says, are you kidding me? What are you doing, God? You know, all of a sudden God says, you know, will you trust me to provide for you? You know, I, will you trust me and provide the answer to something that seems seemingly impossible? Then if that wasn't enough, then God comes in here a third time, and he's going to say, will you ch- grab your son, grab a donkey, get some wood, take a couple of slaves, head out, and I want you to give me your son. Now, folks, I've been a father for... Scott's our baby. He looks like a baby, doesn't he? Poor baby. Um, But, you know, all... Don't ask me why, but all this time when Justin told me I was preaching on August 12th, you know, I'm going like, oh, thank you, I appreciate that. But then I read what I'm preaching on, and I'm going like, oh, no. What if God came to me and saying, grab your son, get in the car, grab some firewood. You're going to sacrifice your son to me. We got family sitting here today. Kids hold on to those parents because they may say I can sacrifice you (laughs) sometimes. You know but here comes another test. Look what he says in verse two. He says, take your son. He said, "Your and here's how he says, your only son. And if that's not enough, he says that son whom you love, he gives three descriptions of this miracle child and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I will tell you about I can hear Abraham say, are you kidding me? It's the promised child. I've already had tests. Go find somebody else. There's plenty of people to test. They're not grown in their faith, their relationship with you like you and I have. Are you kidding me? And God says, no. Now, folks, here's the real test. It's on the screen. And here it is. Do you want God Or do you want what he can do for you? I'm just going to tell you that is two totally different questions. Do you really want God? Do you want this God who expects you to willingly submit to you, uh, to him and to worship him with abandonment for you to be willing to to give him everything, every single day. Changes can come, but that's okay because you'll say if God says it, that settles it. And God, my, your will be done in my life. And when you come here to, listen to me, when you come here to worship, do you come here with, a, with an attitude that today God may speak to me and change my assignment? Or do you like this, the comfort of sitting? You know, we're we the consumer Christians. I just want what the church can give me. I, you know, don't keep me too long, all that kind of stuff. You know, just, just, just give me, give me, give me. I don't want to give anything else. I've already given my life to Christ. That's enough, you know. I'm not giving anything else. Do you really want God? Or do you want something He can give you? Or do you want Santa Claus? Now, don't laugh because, I mean, it's the way are, you know, you know, somebody who will worship us and somebody who'll give us all the stuff we need. Anybody here ever said, now, God, if you'll just let this happen in my life, man, I can love you more. <laughs> God, if you just, if you just give me that, man, I could really worship you more. You know, I could trust you more. You know, if you do this, that, or whatever, and we kind of go into the spiritual negotiations with God. But listen, that's not what God wants. That's not what God demands. God just demands us. we come to him. He created you for fellowship. And he created you for you to worship him. Not for him just to be some object That you give time to but embarrassing enough in our life sometimes god's more the latter than what he intends to be uh, in our life so when it comes to testing and let me just tell you if if somebody here is really being tested whether it's the first time second time the 20th time i really wish i had time and i really don't but i'm just going to tell you in the last since 2005 was that Wayne 13 years I'm not a good marines are mathematicians not me they're not okay (laughs) but anyway since we moved here 13 years ago we have gone I have gone and I have gone through three or four major tests I wish I had time to tell you if you want to know uh Tune in later. Maybe we'll have time to do it. So I just want to, just trust me when I tell you that this comes from experience, not just from knowledge that comes out of a book. When I, when I do this, I'm talking to myself, and, I'm, and really I could say this is what God's been doing in my life. So why the test? Why does God not stop? And, and why, is, you know, why is God always at work? Okay, here it is. Number one, God is never done purifying you. God has never done purifying you. The gold constantly has to be put in fire to bring the dross up and get it off to get to the pure gold. And God has, is constantly purifying us in our life. Let's look at Abraham. It was 25 years from the promise until the son came to be And now over 10 years has passed, probably between chapter 21 and chapter 22. Possibly about 20 to 30 years has passed. And in that 20 or 30 years, Abraham has had a chance to build a very strong and very firm uh, relationship and a bond with Isaac. You know, he had already given away a son when he was 13 years old, Ishmael. And that really hurt him. And you can just know that with this son, he was going to do everything he could to love him, for him to know God, to teach him, to make him into the man that God wanted him to be in his life. You know, but what God is saying to him, he says, look, I want you to take this son that you've waited for now for decades. I want to take away this miracle child, the son of promise. I want to take this son of a covenant. This son that you love with all your heart, and I want you to give him back to me. Now I will tell you that when our daughter Mary Ann was born, nineteen seventy four, I'm gonna be good about this one, and Scott was born nineteen seventy eight. Uh, no applause. I just remember the dates, okay? Um, but I remember the very first thing Margaret and I did when they were born is we 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 held hands with the baby there. And we've said, God, we give these children to you. Now, whether we have them for five days, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, God, we are going to dedicate ourselves to see that these children come up to know you as Lord and Savior. And God, that they become all that you want them to be. Now, that's a challenge in itself because even when they're sitting there as a baby, You're going like, am I really going to pray that if this child dies within four or five days, it's okay because that was the time God gave to me? I mean, it wasn't a a half-hearted prayer. It was a very serious prayer. But this is a lot different. This is deeper. Because he says, I want you to give him back to me. You know, James 1 says it this way in, in verse 2. It says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials... Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect So that you may be mature complete and lacking nothing Count it joy. Why because god's purifying you God's making you into the person he wants you to be first peter 1 6 says you rejoice in this even though now for a short time if necessary You suffer grief in various trials So the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A writer, Thomas Mann, says it this way, and I think it's on the screen. This is pretty profound. He said, God demands that Abraham kill his only son within the context of the cycle God demands Abraham to kill the promises God has made and thus return its state at the end, uh, return it to the state it was in at a primeval cycle, which means you're going to go back as life was even before you met me. Of course, son and promises cannot be separated, but the weight of meaning lies in the fact here it is that Isaac is a gift who embodies God's promises of blessing. Land and nationhood, this is one uh, this test is one of obedience and trust. In essence, it is a test of abraham 's relationship with Yahweh. It asks whether abraham 's trust is really in God and not simply in what God has promised. Abraham has built altars before and sacrificed to this God. When God renewed the promises, is he willing now to build an altar and sacrifice the promises themselves embodied in his son in order to demonstrate his unswerving trust in the God who stands behind the promises? Was he willing to sacrifice the promise? Because God said, bring the promise to me now God is continually pur- uh, purifying uh, Abraham we, we, we don't have time to go through the whole story but you know when you go back to the first test you know God was purifying him by putting his trust uh, you know asked him were well, you putting your trust in possessions and other gods or are you going to trust me leave your land go somewhere whatever it is the second test God tested if he and Sarah could trust him for a son Purifying them of the belief that God and God alone can work one way. He works in the world of our sight and sound. The things that we cannot see or we cannot understand or we don't know, God is still at work. You're going to trust me when you can't see it, taste it, smell it, because I tell you that's what's going to happen. And now God has purified him even more. And Abraham is ready to be tested to see if his life and the assurance is built on a relationship with God and not on the promise itself. I just can't say that enough. You know, sometimes we, you know, we get the dessert. We just hang on the dessert. God says, don't, you know, come back to cook. I mean, put your promises in, you know, put your trust in me. Because let me tell you something. God had the right. Let's get hands, okay? Does anybody believe that God can do anything he wants to do? All right? So if God promised them a miracle child when they were old and it come to pass, doesn't God have the right to take the promise away? He's God. So my trust is not in the promise. My trust and faith is in God. Please don't lose that today, will you? Now I want you to look and look in beginning in uh, verse 3. Let me go back. So early in the morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And set out, uh, out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to, this young, to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Don't lose that thought as well. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, my father. And he said, "Here here I am, son. And he said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Then they arrived at the place that God had told him about. Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Here's the second. First point, God's never through purifying us. Number two, God is never through preparing us. God is constantly preparing you for your next mission. I think sometimes when we go through trials and we get through them, we kind of put ourselves in a rest mode, going like, whoa, glad that's over. Glad I don't have to do that again. But what we need to see is that in that time, God is continually preparing us because he may have another test for us. You know, I want you, and don't lose this. All this time, God is teaching Abraham in all these years. I mean, God's just pouring himself into Abraham. But look what he does. He takes that truth and he pours it into Sarah and he pours it into Isaac. So parents, listen to me. When God's teaching you, God is also teaching you so that you can be teaching your children. It's a generational thing. I got to tell you real quick. I did, a, I did a Lord's Supper different one time uh, at one of my churches, and I got in real big trouble, but hey, that's, a, that's nothing. Uh, instead of using the deacons, and they were the guys that got upset, so I'll just tell you that right now, uh, we put the, uh, we did it the old fashioned Jewish way. You know, the Passover, uh, the uh, Lord's Supper comes out of the Passover. The father was the head of the Passover and it was a teaching tool, right? Father, why do we do this? Father, why do we do that? It was a teaching tool to generationally pass truths on from one child in one generation to the next. So I came up with a brilliant idea that says here, instead of using deacons, I said, everybody sit together as a family. And if you are single or you are a widow or a widower, then we're going to go with the adoption route. You just adopt a family. I want everybody in a family. And so we got to do that. Well, then what I had the father do come up and I got him to get the bread, the the cracker, the wafer, the thing, whatever okay. And I told him, before you give that to your family i want you to tell them how you got saved how you came to know christ and when that was done had them come back up got the juice and i said now i want you to go back and i want you to have a series of prayer with your family and i want you all to come up with at least one real quick a dream a mission goal uh, a project, just something that says in the next whatever, we really want to concentrate and let God do this in our life as a family. Okay. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It was real good. Cause let me tell you what, I had a man come up to me after church tears in his eyes and here's what he said. He said, pastor, he said that is the first time I've ever told my children how I came to know Christ. Never have. Success. What God was teaching Abraham, it was in the intent so God would teach Isaac and Sarah and other generations. So Isaac can know it. So guess what? He gets to teach it to his children. You know what's up? You know, that clock's going way too fast. Um, one of our problems today is the fact is We've got these generational breaks. And some of you are a product of that. You're here today, but your parents didn't go to church. Now, now church is not the epic panacea of solving every problem, okay? I know that's not true, but we go to church because that's a great place to worship God into a fellowship and to learn stuff, you know, like that stuff. But some of y'all grew up and you're here today and you'll say, I didn't get any of this religious background and this, this, this thought about God's love and God's mercy and Jesus Christ and the cross. I didn't get that as a kid in devotional time at my house. I'd have you raise a hand, but I'm not going to. But you did. Guess what? The chain was broken, but the chain can be put back together. Folks, we need chains molded and mended so the generational truths of who god is and what he's done could be just like abraham and isaac and all the generations after that you know abraham developed in trust and relationship and so he developed you know the trust and relationship of isaac and sarah you know, and the, the faith of, of Abraham is evident, very evident, in his obedience. You know, in, in a three day journey to Moriah, he literally shows his response is one listen to this respond, he responds that he totally comprehends what God is wanting him to do, and he totally understands what it's going to cost him. But he does it anyway. Us? Somewhere along that three-day journey, I'm bolting back home. Because, God, I'm not willing to sacrifice my son. But he knew it in his life. And let me just tell you something. I really believe that Isaac knew it, too. Because, you know, one of the things that the the writer said is that Abraham had become very familiar with uh, sacrifice to God. And he taught his family about that. Don't you imagine that that Isaac went out and found the lamb sometimes? And he taught him, he says, son, here's the animal that you need to get. And here's the kind that we're going to sacrifice to God because he's the very best. And we're going to give our best to him. Don't you think he had been involved? Because we really think that, you know, it's an argument of silence. Trust, I know that. You know, some people think that this kid's like five, six, seven, eight years old. But we really think he could be anywhere from 20 to 30 years old. This is a man. And he had so, and listen, don't don't miss this. He had so learned to trust God and be obedient to God from his father's being trustful and obedient to God that when it got to the point that the fire and the, the woods on there, Isaac doesn't move. He puts his hands together. And he puts his feet together. And he knows I'm the sacrifice. When he said, dad, where's the lamb? I kind of think maybe Isaac knew the answer. You're looking at him. So when God was repairing him, this is something that I've, I mean, I love teaching now because I've preached this message a hundred times. But man, to think about a Isaac the view of this passage from Isaac's eyes, it becomes powerful, that God was preparing him as well. Abraham's decisions to show devotion to God rather than being guided by his emotions and his, afi- his feelings. And so we, just, we realize that God prepares all of them, and God's preparing you. When God says that he will provide your, your needs according to his riches and glory, folks, sometimes those needs are preparing you mentally and emotionally and physically for the next assignment God wants to give you. I think some of y'all could give a testament to that as well today. Let's read on. Let's look, let's look at verse 11 real quick. But the angel of the Lord called him in heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. No, excuse me. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now, here it is, folks. He says, for now, I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. There's the answer to the test. He says, I know. And when he said that, verse 13, Abraham looked up and he saw the ram caught in the horns of the th- in the thicket. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So today it said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done these things and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Wow. Third point, God's never through providing for you. God always provides. Abraham will be familiar with sacrifices to other gods because they did it in other religions. And listen to me in other religions, they would sacrifice children. So God wanted to teach Abraham, I'm not like the gods of Canaan. I'm not like the gods that you served and other people. I am the God. I am that I am. I am the one and only true God. And he gives evidence to him of that because he produces and provides the lamb and the point of the whole story in the lesson is really found there in verse 12 when he says for i know that you fear god since you have not withheld your only son from me the whole experience was for god to see that abraham worshiped god and not simply the gifts he could give to him I wish I had time. I really need to kind of pass on. Randy, just stay with me back there. You'll get it, buddy. One theologian says this way. He says, the truth doesn't negate the fact that God desires our faith in action. And thus, throughout Scripture, we see passages laced with examples of God desiring us to act out our faith, worship regardless of the fact that he knows our hearts, he asks us to pray despite knowing what we'll say before we even speak and may have already set in motion. He desires that we demonstrate our love for him just like we desire others do more than simply tell us they love Him. God already knows what your needs are. He wants to hear it from you. God knows what your provisions are. Let me tell you something. God sometimes is already in the business of providing those even before you pray. Am I right? Got it? Yeah. Everything Abraham had been asked to give up. And all these promises, all these tests, all of them were replaced and balanced with a promise that seemingly made the loss worth it. You know, he left his land, but he gave him this huge land, you know, and he got, he, he got this son where he had no son he says it'll happen. He trusted God and he ate it. You know, not only in his son putting on an altar, but also along with him, with that was the covenant the promises. Abraham did not have assurance of how God was going to do it, but he had faith that God would provide the answer. We see it several times. You Remember when they leave the guys and when they leave, he turns around and says, we'll be right back. Isaac says, I see the wood, see the fire, but where's the lamb?" And Abraham says, God will provide. Man, there's so many places we can go with that. You know, God names this place Yahweh Yireh that Lord provides what we know now is a miracle was going to take place on that mountain, no matter what. If a knife went through his heart, Isaac would be supernaturally raised from the dead. Why? Because the promise, he was the promise. But God wanted to see if Abraham was, was attached to the promise or attached to him. You know, what a wonderful thing happens in his life. You know, but then in verse 15, he says, the angel called to Abraham a second time from heaven and he gives him a new, he just reestablishes this covenant. He says, by myself, I have sworn, this is the Lord's de- uh, declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. The promise Is intact. So it begs the question, and we've asked this two or three times and I didn't want to miss it. Are you in a covenant relationship with God or do you feel like you're in a contract with God? Are you in it for life? Are you in it to the point that says, if it gets really tough, I'm bolting, I'm out of here. Let me close with this. Can can I, you know, it's a great story, you know, and, and we read this as a very cute story. I've been, I've been hearing this story since I was a kid, you know, but while we're reading it, you know, everybody's getting dramatic and someone in the back of the crowd says, Hey, he provides a lamb. Don't get too anxious. Have you ever been to a movie and somebody's already seen it and they're sitting right behind you? You know what I'm talking about? And you, you're, you're just in there going, to, Oh, she dies. <laughs> and I'm going, Are you kidding me? You know, our Murphy's Laws, they just start talking. Man, my religion is tested more in a theater than probably most any place <laughs> else I go. I'm gonna leave you this image. How many of y'all have gone to Disney World, Disneyland? Anybody anybody there? You know as well as I do now. I took, Scott, were you, five when we went? Five or six, something like that. But you go now, you gotta take out a loan. Am I right? I mean, you gotta take your savings. You gotta take your IRA, you know? Especially with big families. And uh, to pay for that sucker. But what if you did all that, and you and you did all that, and you stay on campus, you know? And on campus they've got that monorail. Let me just tell you, it's it's a it is a mono mundane rail. It just goes from point A to point B. You get off. There's no excitement. There's no there's no safety issues. You can sit there. You know, we went when we went. Margaret is not crazy about uh, roller coasters. And it was Space Mountain. OK? Now, Space Mountain, some of y'all haven't gone, I can't believe anybody has never gone. But Space Mountain's two things. One, it's a roller coaster. But number two, it's in the dark. You know, I'm in there, and I, something slapped me all in the face, and I'm like, Margaret, quit slapping me. No, it's the cover off of my camera, man. I think it's just going nuts. It's just going nuts in there, you know. But I got her on the roller coaster. You know, we stayed in line, all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure she's sweating bullets. I'm not, you know, do I really want to do this? Well, here we go. We get on it, and we get to the bottom. Margaret's first words are, let's get back in line. We're going to do that again. <laughs> and I'm going like, I don't know if I want to do that. I didn't feel so good the first time, you know. But we got back in line and we did it again. We we're willing to take a chance. Roller coasters, they go up and down. They go sideways. They jerk you this way. You defy gravity. Everything hell about, you know. But what if we spent all that money to go to Disney World or Disneyland and got on a mountain mount monorail and never got off? Say, so, now I'm not getting off that Monorail. That's where all the scary stuff happens. That's where the unknown is. You know, that's where the, you can get hurt, you know. So I'm just going to stay on. It. I mean, we've paid thousands and thousands of dollars. No, nope, I'll just I'll spend the day and I'll just read. The, I'll ride the Monorail back and forth and back and forth. Sometimes folks that's like us in life. You know, we want to live a Christian life safe. We want to just ride the Monorail fellowship church train. I'll just come. I'll be here. I don't want challenges. You know, I just want to be safe. Don't ask me to do anything. I know Jesus. That's enough. Let me just live my life. But where life is learned and where we learn to trust God and where we learn that God prepares us and he provides for us and God peers for us is not on the monorail. It's in the park. And if you think about it, folks, life is not a monorail. Life is a roller coaster. We are placed on that roller coaster really whether we want to be or not. In the midst of it, I pray that you can find God. In the midst of it, I hope that you can say, I don't know what to do, and God, you're testing me, and, and I don't know what it is, but God, I will just realize that you're at work to purify me, to prepare me, to provide for me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Very simple. Some of y'all here today have something that you need to lay on the altar. Yeah, one of my friends used to call them pet rocks. You know, we got pet sins. We got things that you know we just we don't want to give up. You know, no God, you can't have that. It's mine. All of us in here have something that we need to lay at the altar. I want you to imagine the woods here, the fires here, but where's the sacrifice? The sacrifice was on the cross. Jesus shed his blood for you. that you could have a life and have it eternal and abundant. That he could be the savior and Lord of your life. That he could live in you and he could pur- help purify you and make you more of what he wants you to be. And he could prepare you for the things in life. And then he can provide for you. Or you can live this life. What would you bring to the altar today? Let's pray for a minute. Band's gonna be coming back up. Very appropriate song this morning. And can I say this? I mean, I'm 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 here every week. You don't like it? See me next Sunday. I usually sit back over there in the corner. But sometimes it bothers me that we don't respond openly. You know, I'm afraid to get up from my chair. I'm I'm really afraid to come up front. I'm afraid that somebody might. Oh, man, what are they, what's going on in our life? There must be something really going on. you know. No, that's just between you and God. If you've got something to lay on the altar to God, get yourself up here. It doesn't matter who sees you, who doesn't see you. The matter is that you come to the foot of the cross and to the altar that has been provided for you and saying, God, today I yield it all to you. Do your thing. And if you want to articulate that with someone, there'll be prayer partners on both sides. If you want to have a time of worship at the altar, you can come and and have communion. If you want to express that thing that you want to give away or that thing that you need to just to give to God and be obedient, you can write it out and put it on the cross. And this staff, very quietly, just as a staff, nobody else knows about it. They will pray with you, not for you. They will pray with you that God can do a work in your life. God, we just thank you for the day. Lord, we just thank you that because of Abraham, we have Jesus. Because of Abraham's faithfulness, because of his story, it helps us. It is our story. And God, we can learn to trust and we can learn to to wait on you. And God, we we can give the promises even you give us, Because our total passion is to worship you and you alone. And God, for you to do what only you can do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, but God, our trust is going to be in you. Not in chariots, horses, or anything else. It is in you. And Lord, where we fail, may we come to this altar today and find grace, forgiveness, love. In Jesus' name.